You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clanergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping solar retailers deliver more value, win happier customers and generate more sales through referrals and upsell. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, along with the EV-focused The Driven website, which just had 2 million page views in the month of July, so a um, little self-plug there, and one step off the grid. And joining me as usual, still driving his electric Harley, is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, um, how are you? Are you off the bike yet? Uh, well, you know, you must... I, 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 did, I did have to park it to come and do this, but, you know, outside of that, yep, every chance I get. Fantastic. Well, Harley must have just told you that um, you can have it till the end of the year, or maybe forever. <laughs> well, I, I did give them a nudge last night and go, um, so what are we doing now? Um, but I haven't heard back yet, but they've been very generous and forthcoming so far. So, you know, I'm not going to push my luck. And, you know, I've, I've had a wonderful time. If they if they ask for it back today, I'd be very disappointed, but um, very, uh, very grateful at the, at the same time. So it's all good. Oh, that's terrific. Mate, this is a solar podcast, so we should get focused on the subject at hand. And look, there's a few mm. things to talk about today. A few things to talk about. I guess the big one at the moment is probably the stats. I mean, people kind of... Um, kind of know what's going on with their own business. But um, um, SunWiz, one of our sponsors, has put out its monthly statistics. um, And it tells us pretty flat market in July, 270 megawatts. Most states down, Victoria up. Um, Thankfully, because it was... um, one of the few not to go do deep double well, went into a bit of a lockdown, but um, uh, not too bad. And, and New South Wales and uh, Queensland um, jointly tied at the top for the first time in about two years, I think. And New South Wales has yeah. been leading the pack since then. But um, yes, what do you make of all that, yeah. Nigel? Well, it's, it's, oh, I must admit, when I saw Warwick stats, I kind of went, oh, okay, that's what we kind of could sense was happening but it wasn't showing up in the numbers so it's interesting that it's taken a while to come through but yeah it it really shows that you know the majority of states are very flat um and and new south wales except for one bump has basically been on the decline for four months um you know we bloody bloody let the queenslanders catch up to us which is you know disheartening it's not rugby um so you know um yeah, it kind of highlights how precarious it is out there at the moment for everyone. And, you know, we've still got, I mean, uh, I just was pinging a couple of installers uh, around the country actually saying, where are you at? Because there were rumours that installs were, were on hold in Queensland, but they're, they're on the tools up there, I hear. Um, South Australia's back on the tools, Victoria's on the tools, and Warwick's figures show that sort of on, off, on, off in Victoria. Um uh, New South Wales is on the tools, but very limited. And of course, if you're in one of the eight or eleven LGAs that are, are locked down, you're you're really limited in what you're doing. So, um, yeah, it's it's. I think um, the vast majority of the market's kind of okay and back on the tools and dealing with things. But you know, this is so disruptive, so disruptive. So it's um, it's it's yeah. pretty tough out there. Well- 
Well, exactly. Um, New South Wales is actually down 28% from its peak four months ago. So um, that's a fair old fall. Um, just looking at the sort of the aggregate figures, it's just interesting. Um, Victoria at the end of July was 2,999 megawatts. Which, so we can now f safely assume that they're over three gigawatts um, joining New South Wales, which is on 3.8, and Queensland, which is on 4.1. So um, there you go. Another landmark in um, in Victoria. So um so there. So there. <laughs> there's, there's still plenty going in. Still plenty of appetite. Um, you know, just well, still ahead. Still eighteen ahead, eighteen percent ahead of last year. Look, it was interesting That's actually. Right. Sort of talking about the future. Um, yeah. yeah, it was actually it's interesting looking at the AEMO. Um, AEMO, of course, is doing the integrated system plan. Next update was probably going to be due the draft at the end of this year, um, and then the final thing middle of next year. This is like their twenty year blueprint. Um, and what they released last week was a fairly detailed report about all the scenarios and their inputs and assumptions. It's really interesting that the only scenario that actually conforms or complies or is consistent with a 1.5 degree scenario, which is kind of what we want to achieve, otherwise global warming is going to be pretty um, awful, is what they're calling the hydrogen superpower scenario. And it's really interesting to see what that means. Basically, it means zero emissions grid by 2035. So basically no coal and basically no gas. I mean, I think there's some like residual things that might have to swim, switch on a couple um, at a couple of times of emergency if they're still around. But basically all wind and solar, a heck of a lot of storage, a lot of hydrogen, and of course um, about 87 gigawatt hours of um, rooftop solar PV. And I'm just going to try and find the figure here, but just an unbelievable amount of um, homes with um, own battery storage and virtual power plants and 100% sales for electric vehicles and 72% share of the car fleet being fully electric already. Um, quite a transformation. I'll say, I'll say, um, you know, despite, um, despite what our, uh, despite what Sky News would tell you. <laughs> you seem mildly stunned by that um, conclusion there, um, <laughs> Nigel. Um <laughs> The percentage of house, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so one third of household data consumption potentially stored in batteries. There you go. Wow. So it's, look, it's an interesting thing for people out there to think about because I mean, a lot of people are already sort of, you know, they've moved from just doing rooftop solar to doing other things, maybe some heat pumps, maybe some um, batteries and other things. And I think pretty soon it's going to start getting into the market where people are going to be doing. Um, electric vehicle charging installations and dealing with a lot of people who, you know, buy, want to buy electric cars and go, okay, how much solar do I need? How much battery storage do I need? So um, it's something to think about um, um, for the people out there. It is. And, and, and I mean, it's along the lines of, of all the feedback that we got from the installers when we, we did a um, bunch of interviews with installers a few months ago for Great Solar Business. And, and they were all saying the same thing. That's what consumers want. Um, you know, they want to... Yeah, they want the minimal amount of hassle and effort and cost, of course, um, and the maximum amount of automation and convenience um, and, and cost saving, which comes from solar, batteries, electric vehicles. So, um, you know, and, and I was reading today, actually, on your esteemed website, Giles, about how, you know, the price of EVs is getting lower and lower and lower, and there are more models finally starting to come to Australia. So, um you know, I think we're a way away from it being a, a big part of the market. It's still, you know, even batteries are a relatively small part of the market. 
but clearly consumers are um, uh, super hungry for it. So, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Now, what have you got? You did actually sort of sound like someone who just looked out the window and just saw someone just sort of walking off with your Harley down the street and thinking, Bucker, I can't leave the podcast now. I better go and catch them up later. But um, anyway. Um... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, listeners, if I was distracted there by <laughs> live wiring my guy. Sorry. I, I nearly, I was actually just going to ring you and go, right, I'm on the bike. Let's do it live from the bike. But maybe that's another episode. <laughs> Maybe it is. What else is happening? Um, the clean energy um, regulator is going to be clamping down. Um, just announced its um, priorities for the coming year, um, mostly centred around sort of compliance over STCs and large-scale renewable certificates and um, and things like that. So um, that's um, kind of um, worth keeping in mind. What else is on the menu? Yeah, I was re- I, well, I was reading through that, actually, and trying to sort of, I mean, it didn't look like there was nothing massive in it, but there was a bit of a focus on the fact that you know if if red flags have been popping up for you as a solar company uh or you've been getting lots of rejected applications or something like that they're going to be paying more attention and so you know it's definitely worth having a bit of a squeeze at what their focus area is and and actually i have got an interview lined up with um the guys in the clean energy regulator to talk about this very topic um uh in the coming weeks and or or months um on great solar business as well so i'm going to dive deep into this issue and the kind of complexities that they face around um, around compliance and, and regulation and so forth. Because we, we've always had this challenge of trying to balance, um, you know, too much regulation and too much, um, you know, attention on small details versus, you know, um, um, you know, having having enough regulation in place that you know the bar is high enough to avoid cheats and blackguards um, entering the industry, and and of course that is the topic of a uh, an article or a story that's about to come on to ABC News. Probably by the time this comes out, it would have been on. Um, and there's a couple of stories that are due to air on ABC TV this week, and they they published some of the content around it uh, in a couple of articles today. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, I have to say, a fairly common story. It was, you know, the story of consumers, you know, um, with with companies who supplied them with equipment and then went bankrupt. It was stories of people being, um, um, you know, buying equipment on um, loan arrangements that they didn't really get what they, well, they, they didn't get what they thought they were getting, but they were still having to pay the loan off and the system wasn't working or wasn't working properly. So it was the usual kind of issues around, you know, the challenges of buying good solar at a decent price and getting good support. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to follow that up. And and I did did see in one of the articles that, uh, you know, Angus Taylor called a, an inquiry into these issues around the solar industry. Gosh, what would it be? Almost a year ago, uh, six months or a year ago. And and um, one of the guys in the CC, Darren Glabman, actually was quoted as saying, yeah, we, we haven't seen the result, results of that yet or the outcome of that. So, you know, the government was allegedly looking into this issue to try and see if there's anything they could do, but uh, we haven't heard back from them yet. So... That go. was quite amazing because that 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 report was actually they actually wanted that report done in about six weeks or something like that. It was a ridiculously short period, and um, and you're absolutely right. We haven't heard anything from from it about not it. A, not a not a whisper, not a thing. Not a whisper. So, you know, no. 
So I, I, I very much look forward to that because, you know, this industry works really, really hard to try and address these issues and, and you know, put in place its, its own self-regulation, its own codes of conduct, all those kinds of things that we can do to try and ensure that consumers' interests are, are protected and, 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 you know, good companies uh, survive and prosper and, and bad companies are weeded out. So, you know, anything the government can do by releasing the findings of that investigation and report will be very welcomed. Good, good, good. Absolutely. Matt, what else is happening around the place? Um, well, another little one that I picked up on, actually, uh, out of Europe. And, um, you know, I tend to keep a very uh, my eyes very laser-focused on Australia. But I did happen to pick up on a little story um, today, actually, uh, about, you know, a bit of a resurgence in PPAs um, across Europe. Uh, Bloomberg have been... Um, have been quoted as saying that um, they're aware of 23 gigawatts of PPAs that have already been signed world signed worldwide, um, particularly you know the hot markets are in Europe and Spain and Portugal and and there were a number of projects in Germany being quoted. But the interesting thing about these PPAs, Giles, was they're subsidy free. So you know Europe, th- th- this is actually really cool because when you can build solar at enough scale, be it you know. Uh, scale projects of distributed or large-scale solar farms or wind farms or whatever they may be, when you can get it to the point which they are now in Europe where they actually don't need subsidies, uh, it, it you know, we're standing on our own two feet already in some parts of the world. And, um, you know, a lot of the industry here has argued that, you know, if you get rid of the subsidies and you get rid of the rebates, then, you know, we, we will make this uh, industry um, uh, less attractive uh, to people who are just chasing rebates. So, you know, really good news to see that growing and interesting to see that PPAs are kind of back in, back in favour and, 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 and growing growing at scale again in, in Europe. Yeah, look, it's interesting. I guess for large-scale renewables in Australia, like uh, the subsidies have more or less been dead for the last year or two. Um, I mean, I know there's a bit of a residual market because some of the delays in the in the connections and things like that. But, um, you know, when you're pricing in renewable energy certificates into any large-scale solar deal and things like that, you're not actually, you know, it's, it's not a big... It's not a big element, and in, in some cases, it's probably very minor. It's probably you know people want to, yeah, it's just a, just a nominal sum. So um, yeah, no, that's interesting. Mm. Um, I've got an announcement from SunTech too about um, just doing direct distribution distribution through a single channel. Now apparently they're going through a whole bunch of different wholesalers, and we're a bit alarmed to find that um, panels were sort of turning up um, more cheaply than through their own services so they kind of cut off that sort of avenue and, and just doing it direct sales only so um i'm not really too sure what's going on there nigel but um um i think they i think want to control the price well yeah i, I read that with great interest actually i mean suntech have got a long and fascinating history that we that i'm sure everyone knows about but it, it was a kind of an interesting press release that uh implied that some stuff that was going on that they didn't like has finally been brought under control. And of course, you know, controlling the flow of products into a market is really, really important for, for a manufacturer to do for a whole lot of reasons to, you know, make sure it's valid product, to make sure it was actually product that was built to Australian standards and, and, and is eligible for the various rebates and so forth, to make sure that, um, you know, product isn't being pulled out of dead projects in, in, in uh, other countries and, and, and dumped uh, through the back door into Australia and so forth. We've seen examples of that in the past. So, you know, legitimising 
the channels, um, I think is is always a great thing. It also, um, you know, in their press release, though, I noticed that they mentioned that uh, to be eligible for STCs, you must be buying um, approved product through uh, Suntech Power Australia, um, which is intriguing um, because they're going to uh, have to presumably sign up to the solar panel validation scheme um, that allows them to enter serial numbers into that scheme, which is run by the clean energy regulator. And therefore, when wholesalers, retailers, or indeed customers uh, agree to to accept certain product, they can actually validate those products to make sure that they are legitimate. So um, if Suntech aren't on that list, I'm sure they'll be getting on there soon so that they can actually validate that and manage it. It does help to make the um, uh, warranty support and technical support a lot better. So, yeah, it is an interesting one. We'll, we'll have, to, have to watch and see how that pans out and find out the backstory. Yes, indeed. Um, what else is happening? Um, panel warranties. Actually, no, I just want just on, on, on that. I just want to sort of talk about secondhand panels. Um, Sophie Verath on One Step Off the Grid um, wrote a really interesting story about sort of the opportunity, the missed opportunity in Australia about recycling solar panels and some great work done by Nick Ingrid down at um, ANU, I think, um, um, on just sort of trying to get this moving and um, trying to sort of um, yes get get a get a proper scheme in there. I know there's been a couple of sort of people looking into it, but there's still too many panels modules that sort of ending up at the tip, which they shouldn't need to do uh, because there's a great recycling opportunity. So if anyone hasn't caught up with that one, I, I do recommend them doing that. Um, what can you tell me about power, panel warranties, Nigel? Yeah, well, it, I mean, do you know how many solar panel com- do you know how many companies there are in Australia who claim to do solar panel recycling, Giles? Hmm. Nope. <laughs> seven. Seven. There are seven. There are no less than seven companies. If you Google it and start hunting around, there are no less than seven companies in Australia who claim to be able to do solar panel recycling. Now. I welcome the day uh, that some of these lines actually get up and running and we have a genuine recycling industry. I've certainly seen video footage of a couple of them. So there are clearly some people out there doing it and there's different ways that you can do it. Um, um, you know, when we've looked at this and when I've chatted with a couple of people about this issue, the underlying challenge remains that there isn't enough value in the goods in the materials that you can recycle out of a solar panel to recover the cost of recycling which is an eternal mm-hmm. challenge that the entire world has faced the only way that it has worked in other countries is when there have been levies levies applied um so that you know the entire industry applies a small levy of one cent a watt or whatever it is two cents a watt uh they apply a levy to create a fund to help pay for the recycling of those products now you know of course everyone's innovating and trying to find a way to do it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper so that that levy isn't required but at the moment we have a very a very substantial challenge but you know uh, more power to all the people who get out there and 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 can create that industry and get recycling going lord knows we need it hope they can do plastic as well because of course we don't know how to recycle plastic but on the topic of failed panels and warranties there's a couple of stories here number one there was a really interesting story written by uh uh the inimitable uh alan camp uh, in an international magazine that I picked up where he realised that he was actually doing 50% of his work was now replacement systems. And there are a number of people talking about this. And in fact, I jumped on a social media post the other day, uh, which a couple of people had posted up about asking about this very issue and how many how many of your sales are actually replacement sales rather than new sales. And there is, there is um, definitely a, an upward trend in replacements. Part of that is driven by 
failures. Part of it is driven by changing rules and regulations that mean that it's just too hard to upgrade, rectify, repair, and then take the risk for a solar system that might have been installed three, five, ten years ago. Uh, and so it just ends up being easier to rip them out, tragically, and 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 replace them. Um, so that, that raises the issue then of warranties. And Mark Kavanagh from uh, MC Electrical did a really interesting little YouTube video uh, which came out the other week um, about panel warranties. He was specifically looking at the issue of shading, which he's been a little obsessive about over the last, last few months and has re released several really interesting little YouTube videos about the changes in technology and how actually, you know, string inverters are catching up very rapidly with uh, microinverters and panel optimizers on their, their ability to manage shade effectively. Um, but what he uncovered in the midst of all of that, and it's well worth watching the video, is that when you look at the solar panel warranties, the actual written warranty, the vast majority of them actually say that if you put a solar panel or if a solar panel is, is subject to shade, you, your warranty's void. Um, and so he challenged a number of manufacturers on that and said, well, look, you know, the reality is that, you know, chimneys are on the, on roofs and, and, you know, there's shade sometimes and it cannot be avoided. Is the warranty really void? So he explores this issue in great detail. It's really worth looking at. Uh, hopefully it's not an issue that anyone's ever going to have to, to, to confront, but it is one of those issues where I think the, you know, the inverter industry is bringing out all sorts of technologies to deal with shading because they understand that it's inevitable and that some sites are going to have shading. And yet the PV manufacturers, by and large, haven't actually caught up and updated their warranties and are just quietly saying, no, nah, if it's shaded, we're not going to cover you for warranty. So there's some really interesting technological issues to get your head around. There's some really interesting sort of disconnects between, you know, what invert what installers face on the roof and what inverter manufacturers are delivering as technology to deal with that. And 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 uh, on the other side, the actual written legal documents. So, you know, maybe an opportunity there for the PV manufacturers to kind of catch up with um you know what's really going on out there in the world that's uh, the big red um, button <laughs> it's the it big is. red button i, I did actually push it but it just didn't work properly no 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 because that's like a bit of a mark <laughs> Jeez, that's so unfair um it's, it's not actually it's not actually red anyway it's kind of orangey brownie um which has probably got me confused um it sounds like a potential minefield because, yeah, look, I get that. Um, but, I mean, there's the, the shading and there's shading and you can put solar panels in really dumb places and then to what extent do people sort of arbitrate about whether it was a good place to put solar or a bad place to put solar and um, and what have you. I don't know. It just seems... Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, mm. it's true. And, and you know, as as we push into higher and higher penetration rates on, in, on rooftops, um, you know, we are going to... We've been facing this issue for years, Giles. And, and you know, there are less than perfect roofs all over the place where people have gone, uh, should I do solar? And, you know, the unequivocal response now is, look, look, you know, even if you don't have a perfect roof, even if you've got shading, even if you have to face them south... For goodness sake, put as many solar panels on your roof as you possibly can. You know, you're still mm. going to get savings. It is still a valuable proposition, even if they're facing south, for goodness sake. Uh, there is still a really good proposition. You will still reduce your bill. So, you know, the reality is that um, uh, in, a, in a market like Australia, where we are really pushing the boundaries of, you know, we've, we've 
I think we've got most of the good roofs now, um, but uh, we're, we're going to be installing on harder, tougher, more shaded, more obscure roofs. And, um, you know, uh, customers don't need to be unfairly penalised uh, for trying to do the right thing and put solar on just because they've got some shading on their roof. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, moving on to the next subject. Nigel, what have you got? Uh, well, um, great solar business. I'm not going to reveal who our guest is. We had a terrific interview, and thanks for everyone who gave me great feedback about the last episode. Um, uh, I've got three guests um, lined up for coming mm. episodes, Giles. I've got an international guest. I've got a technology company, and I've got an Australian legend. Um, the trick is I've got them all booked in around the same time and it's sort of first cab off the rank to get to me and do a recording. It's going to be the next one. So I don't know which one it's going to be yet, but, um, yeah, some terrific interviews coming up. Lots of good feedback about the fact that there's some, you know, some good content coming out of those people and some secrets on how to, how to build a great solar business. So, um, yeah, keep your ear open for that next week. Absolutely. No, look, <laughs> three people out there bidding for sort of um, early time. So um, I reckon about five minutes after this pod- podcast is broadcast, you should be getting a few emails or text messages or phone calls and they can all start queuing up their notebook. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Now, look, um, at the start of the podcast, I couldn't help myself but um, boast about the Driven um, website just gone absolutely gangbusters only launched just over two or probably close to three years now actually in its first full year did about five million page views in its second full year that um financial year that finished um last june it did 10 million um page views and then in the month of july it did over two million page views in a single month so Holy Moses, I just reckon there's so much interest out there um, about um, electric vehicles and, um, you know, in Australia and around the world. So we're kind of getting close to a bit of a tipping point, Um, although there's some pretty unhappy EV drivers in Victoria who've been having to get photographs of their odometer and send it through to them. And obviously some of them can't do that because some of them may not have mobile phones or some of them, you know, for whatever reason, can't or, or won't do it. And they've just got letters saying, if you don't sort of send in by tomorrow, we're going to cancel your reg- registration and you can keep your car in the garage. Um, just that seems to be stuff, really. <laughs> it's a bit harsh, isn't it? But um, I'll be just, you know, talk about sort of, you know, a policy deliberately designed to piss people off. Um, geez. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know whether you can go better than that, but there you go. And and as look, and as you mentioned, there's um, prices of you know new EVs are coming down, all a bit incrementally. Um, the new BYD E6, which is a Chinese-made um, car, electric car, is coming to Australia, imported by Nexport, who do seem to be doing a lot of different deals in different places and buses and and different models coming through. But that's going to be sub forty thousand. Still a fair way to go before we get down to um, about twenty or thirty thousand, which is what people might interest. But I did see Morgan Stanley report the other day, which was talking about Teslas at twenty thousand American. That's more like half the price of what they are now in the US, um, as that becomes and like a mass, a, a truly mass production model, and um, and the focus goes on sort of earning income from um, from software updates and car sharing and autopilot and. Um, and stuff like that, really, really quite interesting. If you think about sort of fossil fuel cars now, a lot of them are sold pretty cheaply on the basis that people make money out of the maintenance. 
well, there's going to be a new thing. You're just going to have these sort of pretty cheap EV platforms and the money's actually going to be made about all these other sort of software and sort of communications and insurance and ride sharing and goodness knows what else. So interesting world we're going to head into there, Nitron. It, it sure is, and it raises two issues for me, Giles. Number one, you only have to go back a couple of years ago, you know, uh, when, oh, what would it be, two, three years ago maybe, when, you know, Tesla's first arrived in Australia and, you know, I, I rushed into into Sydney and went to the Tesla booth and booked myself a test drive to get a ride in a in a in one of the first Teslas and go for a blast around the city of Sydney just to say I'd experienced a Tesla. And you know, they were hundred and fifty thousand dollar plus cars and today you can buy one for what, sixty five, sixty seven thousand bucks in Australia. So, you know, half in a few years. Half the price is half for what is an extraordinarily capable machine. And then, you know, we've already got this range of other models coming in at, um, you know, sub 40 now, which is, is quite remarkable. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, on the software piece, it, it's a really interesting point that you make because I've been looking at all sorts of, you know, frankly, you know, having a, having a brand new live wire in my garage just prompted me to go, Oh, maybe I should buy it. And well, what else is there? And what, are, what are the alternatives and what are, what are the, prices and the features and the benefits of all the other electric motorcycles out there that I can buy and so I've been prowling all the all the forums and I realized the other day that one of the most desirable bikes that I've talked about quite a bit is an Energica uh, out of Italy uh, fastest electric motorbike production electric motorbike in the world biggest range in the world you know really really nice um, but I saw a bunch of people talking about the servicing cost and highlighting that you have to pay for a firmware update at every service, 175 bucks US. Now, if you don't pay for that firmware update, you don't get the latest firmware. So you sort of, the, the bike will still work, but you don't get to unleash the extra features that they've worked out through all their other experiences. And so, of course, what do you do? You spend 175 bucks. Um, so we're already seeing that translate into the world of electric motorcycles, Giles, where, you know, the price of the vehicle may be a little bit lower, but what you do is you pay for some of these features and services over time through firmware updates. Yeah, it's a bit rude, isn't it? I mean, it's interesting, like Tesla. Oh, by the way, Te um, Nigel, um, Tesla Model 3s, you can actually get them sub $60,000 now in New South Wales where you get a stamp duty exemption plus a rebate. So it's actually less than 60000 on the road for a Tesla Model 3. So that's about $13,000 less than what I paid for one two years ago. Um, do I sound like I'm unhappy? Not at all. But um, so right. that's um, that's interesting um, with the price thing. But um, yeah, it just makes me think. You know, you can pay a subscription now for full self driving. Um, maybe one day you have to pay a subscription for driving. Well, basically, you're you're in the hands of the software and the firmware. Sorry, I'm sorry, I jumped over the top of you, Nigel. I won't do that again. Not at all. No, no, no. No, you're right. You're right. And, and you know, in, in so many things we do in this world, you know, whether it be surviving lockdown with a Netflix subscription or, or you know, watching, uh, you know, or whatever else it may be, um, you know, paying for things as you go, be it, you know, through subscription payments or anything else is increasingly the way of the world. And, um, you know, that's just something I think we need to get used to and adapt to um and you know increasingly what we're looking for is you know ones and zeros that do cool shit in the case of a in, in the case of it, it's an energica it's you know you might get uh, another half a second off the line in the case of a tesla it might be some kind of 
full-featured self-driving mode, whatever it is. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just ones and zeros, Giles. Ones and zeros. <laughs> oh, Very is. good. It is, yes, and it was always completely beyond me, which is why I'll never be very techy. I do get worried about all these different micro pay payments, though. Otherwise, you get about 150 things coming out of your your your, your account each day, and adds up to about 300 bucks. And, and there's two dollars here, three dollars there, four dollars there, and um, yeah. yeah. Look, don't worry. Of. There's an app that there's an app that you can subscribe to to track all the micro payments that you're getting for a small monthly fee. <laughs> Brilliant. Consolidate them all. Mate, is that a wrap or have we, uh, have we got a little way to go? Um, I think, that, you get, I think um, that's a wrap. You think that's a wrap? Fantastic. That's um, a wrap. And we didn't even get to talk about my driveway. So um, we'll do. We'll save that for another day. Nigel, um, thanks to you and thanks to our sponsors, of course, Clenergy Software Analytics and of SunWiz. And... Um, Look forward to seeing the next great solar business podcast. We're going to be fascinated to see whether it's the inventor, the um, the, the hero, the legend, um, or who's the other one? I can't remember now. The international, the international, the international, thing that actually gets to, the international that gets to appear um, next week on the Great Solar Business Podcast. Um, look out also um, for the Driven Podcast and Energy Insiders, of course. And um, we'll be back again in a fortnight. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sumwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, helping solar retailers deliver more value, win happier customers and generate more sales through referrals and upsell. Get more from solar, visit solaranalytics.com.au.